News. 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 New York City. F A Q. So uh, one last heist before the gang retires, at least for 2018. Oh wait, did you want to say that, Harry? I don't care. Oh. Welcome to FAQ NYC. This is Alex Brooklyn. I am the producer. As usual, I am joined by Harry Siegel and Professor Christina Greer. Today, we're going to be talking about stuff in the news. Jasmine Headley, Cuomo and marijuana, Kevin Parker's bad tweets. And then, as usual, we're going to go to In the Courts with Victoria Bekempis to talk about what's going on in the New York courts this week. Also, I'm going to take a small hiatus as FAQ's producer so I can go to Thailand and study Muay Thai. I'll be back in the middle of February. Our new producer is going to be Jordan Gospore, who definitely has to remind me how to pronounce her last name. (laughs) She's going to be leading this merry band of misfits all the way to mid-February. All right, gang, and here's... F-A-Q-Q-Q-Q-N-Y-C-C-C. Right, that's a good intro, right? So all the Democrats are terrible. Uh, they control everything now. I feel very cranky. Let's start with Mayor de Blasio, who it came out again this week, had hid another dozen emails from the guy who bribed him saying, I love you. You're such a minch. Let's talk soon. Thank you so much for your advice. He's like, my bad. I would have turned them over in the foyer, but we didn't have any policy. So. I would have turned them over, but I deleted them. Is this the Oops. second dozen emails he forgot to well, disclose? It's a little complicated because the emails came out from this briber, Jonah Recknitz, at the previous trial of Norman Seabrook. And de Blasio's like, this guy's just a liar. This guy who federal prosecutors have vouched for who sounds exactly like Donald Trump. Then more emails came up as Jonah Recknitz testifies that this new trial of fellow de Blasio, Brimer, and his former partner, Jeremy Reichberg, and top cop, James Grant. Um, and then someone gives the Post even more emails. Right. Well, I feel like de Blasio right now has, like, the memory of Jared Kushner when it comes to remembering what should be turned over and what shouldn't be turned over. Um, and the sad thing is we've got three more years of this. I mean, like, we're seeing the, you know— as a professor, I know what senioritis looks like. You know, you you remember when in high school when you had that, it's like you got into college and it's like April, you just like checked out, <laughs> you're done. It's like we're looking at de Blasio essentially with senioritis, a new ton of scandals, and we've got three years left on the clock. When Bloomberg was mayor in his second term, before people knew there was going to be a third term, you know, he got school control. And so uh-huh. he was accountable for the schools. And somebody said, now that you've been reelected, what can we do? Saul Stern, actually, the Manhattan Institute, asked him this. And he says, what can New Yorkers do now? He says, they can boom me up parades. And that's basically right. where de Blasio is at because he has no political future. He's not particularly popular in New York. And th- there's no next move for him. However, he is married to someone who is uh, pretty openly eyeing office herself and now has a gigantic staff. Chrissy can't is uh see Chrissy, I, let me do a sign for but this. But are we inserting the eye roll for I this uh, for I this face? I won't. I shan't. I'm just I'm gonna leave it there. Nope. Go on. <laughs> I just that's I'll have to have I'll have to tackle that in twenty nineteen because I need to process these thoughts so they don't come out well right quick too unfiltered. Let's talk about Jasmine Headley for a minute. Jasmine, Jasmine Headley and, and the Human Resources Administration, also known as the HRA. A mom whose arrest video went viral says she's going to sue the city of New York. Police recall after she found herself in a food stamp office, there were no seats. So she was there for four hours. 
she decided to sit on the floor. Security guards, the security guards called the police, and then this happened. So Jasmine Hebley is, if you're listening to this, you almost surely know it's a woman who goes into an HRA office, but she's having issues with her benefit, with her infant. Something happens that is not recorded, and uh, the police have sort of retconned a story about sense, about her using a baby as a shield. But what's on video are police officers and HRA peace officers literally trying to and then taking her baby out of her hands, you know, ripping it away while she's on the floor and they scream and resist. So, naturally, politicians raise their hands and say this is unacceptable. Corey Johnson Very quickly. Corey immediately. Johnson does this. Corey Eric Johnson Gonzalez. The, 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 and this is on video. The, uh, the Brooklyn DA gets her out of Rikers Wait, right away. Where right she, away? She's locked up after this. Wait, but not right away. How, no. Yeah. No. Hold on, right away. Correct, correct. Rosie Singer is kind of, it's, it's a pretty intense place to be. Um, and, and right away, you know. Not mm-hmm. for three days. Right. Correct. So hold on, Harry. Let's back up a second. Let's walk through the story in a different light. So you have a woman who is having issues with her benefits, so she's got to go down to an office that essentially is set up to suck the dignity out of anyone who goes through their doors. There's not enough seating, so she's sitting on the floor for some reason. I don't know who in their right mind thinks that it's okay for a woman with a child to sit on said floor. We know that these offices make it such that it's a bureaucratic seventh chamber of hell to try and figure out how you can sort of get money to sort of have a better life for yourself. As Ms. Headley has said several times, it's like, I'm here not just because I want to hang out in the damn office. I'm trying to do what's best for my son and my family. And this is a benefit that she'd already had that exactly. suddenly she doesn't have, which happens all the time. So you sit there for a day to see if maybe yeah. you're going to get it back exactly. or if you're going to sit there for another day. So you're supposed to be working, but I have to sit here all day, right? And so there's like a lack of value of like my time, my respect, all these things. Then this is my issue with, you know, the body cams because there's always this question of, well, we don't know what happened beforehand. I don't give, this is our last podcast of 2018, I don't give two shits what happened beforehand. What we saw on camera was the fact that police officers, individuals who were, you know, pledged and sworn to protect and serve, are yanking a one-year-old child from the arms of his mother while she's on the ground, while basically five people stand over her, like yelling and screaming. And mind you know, some of these people have guns and tasers. Let's Hold not on. forget to pointing a taser at her face. At her face, and also the crowd, by the by, right? So... There's trauma, like trauma is sort of when you're helpless and fearful, right? So everyone's traumatized in that room. But these are people who are in a room where many of them have already been traumatized. And so then here's where it really gets me. We can talk about the mayor's lack of response, the first lady's lack of response as a black woman and a mother, because she loves to pull the mother card. Where was it this time? Then we can talk about the NYPD. And then we can also talk about the New York Times, which loves to be racist, to say it's like, how long is it going to take the New York Times to all of a sudden reframe the story where they start digging in the crates and finding when she like was truant in high school, when she was in 10th grade? I mean, you know that like 
all of a sudden the stories came out. It's like, well, she bit the police off the peace officer. You damn right she bit the peace officer. She's holding her child. Hold on, hold on. Like, are you kidding? I'd bite a peace officer. Two quick things. The New York Times actually found her first and interviewed her to get her part of the story out. So I gotta give them credit for that. And she Half she, she she speaks clearly and distinctly. And, and, and explains, you know, what happened. She seems a lot more credible than the NYPD sources leaking, you know, um, or, or then, then announcing like an IAB report that totally clears the police. And it's like, you don't see, it's a retcon, like what happened right before the video rolls. So you think this woman is on the floor biting these peace officers and nobody in that office is recording? So I don't really care either where we ended up there. I, I don't really care either what happened before the video's there. That video, and this isn't often true of those clips, really does speak for itself. But I also just don't believe these, uh, these reports now. And we know that de Blasio, since 2014, and the police officers turning their backs on him, is very afraid of losing oh. the police. Insert, so finding a way to frame the HRA. Rob Deep shook of. ones right now. Okay, no problem. <laughs> Can I, I'd like to say one thing. If this woman, in our current cell phone culture, if she was really wiling out, right. as they say, that would have been recorded too. Right. People in those offices would have immediately gotten out their right. cell phones. Well, people in the people who are waiting for their benefits would have gotten out their cell right. phones of and course. put it on Instagram like this woman's yeah. out here wiling. Globalground.com. The, the, the use of the term, she used her baby as a shield. And I was just like, so, I mean, you know, I mean, this is the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize. The way people of color read the news is very different because we always know when you're talking about a black person versus a white person, right? Because the, when I was younger, I would always ask my parents, like, if someone, you know, broke the law or did something, ended up on the news, my parents would say, like, oh, he's white. I'm like, how do you know he's white? It's like, because there's no picture of him. And if he's black, it's not the picture of him in his army uniform or his, you know, graduation uniform. It's some crazy ass picture of someone on their worst day right and so we go back to like the fight that mike brown's family had to sort of the picture you see of mike brown is him in his cap and gown right angela davis fought to be on trial and actually wear civilian clothes and not an orange jumpsuit because this deep-seated visual that white people have of black people in this country is of you know indigent people who were wiling out and i was just so frustrated and disgusted by the characterization of Miss Headley after the fact, after the police are found miraculously not guilty yet again on camera. And it's just like, yeah, but you know, here are all the bad things about her. And it's like, of course. It was like the countdown to how quickly can we just basically besmirch this woman so that we don't look bad for our inaction and our bad behavior. So like, what accounts oh, for... Oh, I just, I just wanted to say one thing um, about... I don't think a lot of people realize that these offices, going back to what you said before, people coming out of prison, people on benefits, um, people who need anything from the government whatsoever. This is not a walk in the park. And honestly, people coming out of rehab, you know, are expected to do Herculean amounts of organizational tasks that not even the most well-paid adult person is expected to do. As a as a professional, as a head of a department at a media company in New York City, I had to do less to adult myself, or less adulting than half of these people have to do. They have to hold time, a full-time job, still make time to meet with whatever caseworker they have. They have to have an address for 100,000 pieces of mail and an email address. And if they do something wrong, their benefits go out the window if and one, they have to stand in line for 
two yeah, to like one four thing days. One goes wrong, then the entire piece falls apart. I just I mean, don't like think the people fully appreciate is, what it's no. actually like to receive benefits of any kind from the government in, in this city, but right. in, in most cities. So right. that's my Merry Christmas. Right. I mean, that's all I got. I think you're 1,000% right. Like, who the hell wants to sign up to sit in an office for six hours a day to be disrespected to, for someone to come back and say, give me another form, right? And so I, I think the video is, is, I mean, I couldn't watch it all the way through, to be very honest. It's just, it hurts in a way that, like, I can't even articulate. And then, for me, to have the leader of the city, who, I don't know if he's on break, I don't know what's going on with Bill de Blasio, but, you know, this goes down Friday. Sunday, the the public is made aware. And we don't get a statement from the mayor until when? Wednesday? Tuesday? Like, that's a long time for something like this. Something that is this level for the mayor to just not really have much to say. Like, I put that up there as, like, an emergency. I would think that the mayor would have said something. And I know he can't respond to every single thing. I think what's so sad about this is that, and I think this is what, Ms. Headley said, what happened to her is an extreme version of what happens to people every single day. She was like, my story just rose to the surface. But like this lack of respect and lack of like protection of one's self, one's body is such that that happens all the time. I'd like to know where Steve Banks has been, who is the longtime advocate for the homeless, who now runs the HRA and homeless services uh, for Bill de Blasio. And the homeless population is up substantially, I think by 11,000 since de Blasio was elected mayor. He said that it was his peace officers and not the police who were probably responsible here. And, you know, eventually after also days of silence got around to, uh, to apologizing. But this seems off and outrageous. And if the police answer is, well, we need to train officers for what to do when someone's holding a baby. And that's it. And the HRA answer is, we're really sorry, and we're not going to call the police as often. And that's it. I do wonder what sort of accountability is left for anyone in this administration. I mean, and also, it's just like, can you teach people humanity? Like, that's a real question for me. I mean, if you see a baby and you're willing to point a taser at said baby's mother's face, I don't know if you can teach that in a, in a three-hour training, mandatory training. I mean, but what you can do is you can desensitize. Uh, A lot of police, a lot of correctional officers have been almost systematically dehumanized, in my opinion, from rhetoric, from the kind of training they receive. Honestly, you know, the, the, the biggest mouth in this was Norman Seabrook, just entirely... 100% defending CO officers every single time something happened rather than speaking to the nuance of what it is like to to actually work in a jail and training accordingly. Well, that was his job. Like, he, he was the head of the correction officers union, and so his job is to represent for those members. He was also a corrupt piece of shit who was stealing from his members and came up with earlier when we were mentioning the de Blasio emails and trials. But when does representing for not mean protecting them in a way where getting them actual better training that would, you know, prevent these kind of large scale. Well, I think honestly, this is a whole nother episode, right? Because we have to ask ourselves several questions. We have to ask ourselves the type of people who want this type of power, right? We have to ask ourselves the type of people 
who um, need this type of power. We need to ask ourselves what happens when you essentially cage individuals, but also cage the individuals who are charged with protecting said individuals, right, and policing them. So it's like, keep in mind, if, you know, you're incarcerated and I'm your CO, I'm incarcerated too. I'm just pulling a check. I mean, I just also think, I mean, this is, again, this is another episode, but you have, like, the Bernie Carricks of the world who, like, don't give a care in the world about incarcerated people until they themselves are incarcerated, which, you know, we've talked about offline, the opioid crisis, right? Nobody cared about the opioid crisis from the 50s, 60s, and 70s when it was in inner cities, but now it's like, oh, gosh, not Timmy. Now we need to sort of, we can't incarcerate our way out of this. We need to have, you know, public public health services, which is great. God bless. However, I think it's really interesting now that, you know, the opioid crisis is white, not black. We need to make sure that we have, you know, sort of a holistic approach that's like, you know, velvet gloved and, you know, it's not about prison. And I was like, really? Because you were really cool on just putting people in prison for the past 40 years. Like, yeah, exactly. I just, you know, the end of the year, this has been a lot. This has been a long year. This, you know, just local, state, nationally, it's just exhausting. So the NYPD just put out its use of force numbers, and then we're going to talk about Cuomo for a minute, just speaking of criminal justice. And they're, 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 they're interesting. Um, use of force is up a little to about 8,000 total incidents. The number of use of force incidents involving emotionally disturbed people is about 1,500, which is about where it was last year, and supposedly the whole force was going to be trained, and that's happened much more slowly than initially promised, and that training doesn't seem to show up. However, I would note that you had, so far, 26 firearm discharges this year, down from 52 the year before, which is incredibly low for a force this size in a city this big. Five people have been shot and killed by police. Uh, There was 10 in total last year. So training can work. It's a question of what you're training for, how serious you are, and holding people accountable. But MPS, maybe I think one of the shifts too, and I don't know, it could be too soon to say, but like I think Jimmy O'Neill, I like him better than Bratton for sure. And I don't know, you know, because I mean, keep in mind the NYPD is a paramilitary organization. So everything comes from the top. And I think that O'Neill, it might, I might be giving him too much credit for now, but at least like I'm willing to sort of still hold out my, my sort of, you know, concrete opinion on him. But I think that his philosophy is different than Bratton's. And I think that in the next year or so, we'll actually, I'm optimistic, let's just put it that, that way, under his leadership as opposed to Bratton's. Mr. O'Neill, you should come on so we can talk with you about this. You've yeah. got you've got one fan here. Invitation from FAQ. Jimmy O'Neill. Before short-term memory loss takes us farther away, uh, shift gears for a second, but stand <laughs> criminal Speaking justice. of short-term memory loss, that's and, a good segue. Yeah, yeah. Talk about a, <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, this get is going to blow you your did, mind. You, you didn't get it. No, no, I got it. <laughs> Do you, but do you get it, man? <laughs> Andrew Cuomo and marijuana. The fact is, we have had two criminal justice systems. One for the wealthy and the well-off, and one for everyone else. And that's going to end. We must also end the needless and unjust criminal convi- convictions and the debilitating criminal stigma, and let's legalize the adult use of recreational marijuana once and for all. Anyways... Um, we can have this conversation now because Governor Andrew Cuomo, who's like, um, medical marijuana, I'm not sure about that. Okay, we're going to have it, but there can't be any uh, smokables because it's just too dangerous and crazy. It's a gateway drug. That was last year. 
That was last year. Now, you know, uh, um, you know, something happened and his mind's expanded. Um, it might be. <laughs> it might be how the election played out. I love double entendres. We need to have Rob George on here because he'd have lots of good puns. From Rob George oh. to talk about this. But you know what happened? Cynthia Nixon happened. Wait, but before we say what happened, what just happened is uh, Governor Cuomo said, yeah, man, we should we should legalize recreation. <laughs> yeah, man. It's time. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Let's pass the peace pipe and actually legalize this marijuana thing. No, I think Cynthia Nixon happened, right? I mean, Cuomo, again, going to a third term, no term limits in New York for governor. Um, and primaries matter. You know, there are a lot of issues that Cynthia Nixon raised that Cuomo has now you know, gotten on board and shimmied to the left and quite quickly. And I think marijuana is, you know, one of the, the largest issues where, you know, just one year ago, he is Mr. Anti. And now he's like, we're going to be a leader across the country with, you know, marijuana. It's like, OK, Isn't well, it more nasally. You're the one that's always saying it's I more nasally. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I got to work on my Cuomo. Yeah. For um, 2019, Chrissy is going to work on her Cuomo. I'm going to work on my Cuomo. Cuomo, of course, crushed Nixon, unfortunately, in their primary. But I think this did put a pressure on. And by the time you get to the end of this year and Democrats now control the legislature and this wave is rising, even if you manage to push it off, I think you're absolutely right that he's moved farther and farther to the left. And speaking of the legislature and the uh, classy, classy uh, people we have now. Stay classy, Kevin Parker. Kevin, Kevin Parker, Parker and, and his, his tweets. tweets. So Kevin Parker is not himself known to be a coke-snorting, uh, staff-banging uh, member of the legislature. Uh, that's just what he called one former governor. Uh, that was when he was being indicted for some of his anger problems, which have recurred at other points since. He's still a lawmaker in good standing. And uh, this week he had a suggestion for a, uh, for a Republican spokesperson who used to be with the IDC um, on Twitter. And he suggested that, that she commit suicide. Yeah. He tweeted, kill yourself. Whilst also on a task force to work on suicide prevention, I believe. So, I mean, here's the thing. Twitter's not for everybody, as we've seen. I just want to uh, point out that the Kevin Parker has been in elected office for a long time. He was there when the Democrats last controlled the state Senate and then melted down and blew it. So the new Democratic leaders coming in, Andrea Stewart-Cousins, you know, has real reason to be unhappy with this. And so does, uh, so does uh, Jumani Williams, since uh, since. Parker had been his chief of staff for his public advocate run in the field of 872,000 candidates. <laughs> Listen, well, you remember I, I, I tweeted Ozzy. Shout out to Ozzy, our former co-host. Where I was like, at one point in time, who's, who's you know, who has more uh, members, like the Wu-Tang Clan or people running for public advocate? <laughs> at the time, it was Wu-Tang. Now it's public advocate. It's 23 people running for public advocate. It was not the Klan. It was the extended Klan and then the side <laughs> projects. Remember Jesus Remedy? Yeah, yes. <laughs> Remedy did. The, the, he was the Jewish Wu-Tang Klan affiliate who did the <laughs> Holocaust Remembrance song on the first Killer Bee Swarm album and is now <laughs> moved pretty far, far to the right Don't and is Twitter beefing with Kwali. Kwali, come on the show. Invitation from FAQ. Kwali. Invitation from FAQ. Come back, Harry. Come I, back. I, I want to do a whole episode with just Wu affiliates. We need Ozzy for this kind of yeah. like intricate pol- politics right. meet hip hop sort okay, of crossover but, history. Yes, here's my dream. Now, I know that this is a New York centered podcast, but I'm putting this out there for 2019. Luther Campbell, if you would like to come on our podcast and talk about the First Amendment, the Constitution, and taking your case to the Supreme Court, I would love that. I'm just going to put that out there. Invitation from FAQ. Luther Campbell. 
I, I can email him. We talk occasionally. <laughs> in Liberty City? Yeah. Okay. Well, then let's let's do that. Great. We're gonna make that happen. Let's 2019. Make it happen. I'm just you know it's 2019. Let's just put things out in the open that we want. I want Albany to act right. I want men to stop abusing women in Albany. Um, I want that white paper and the working group of seven women to sort of like actually get like a proper you know hearing and respect i want the governor to stop acting like a republican and actually follow through on things for once i want the mayor to sort of like snap out of his senioritis and realize you know what you have a legacy for yourself you got three years like let's hit the road and <laughs> less time at the park slope gym more time just thinking about how you can be a leader for the city I also would like horrible, horrible landlords to stop being allowed yeah. to strip our entire city of its culture. So, I mean, I get it. There is not a whole lot of protection out there for commercial businesses, but we need a few more protections for small businesses that have been around for longer than like two seconds. New York is looking like a suburban mall. I mean, 125th Street to me looks like I'm in the middle of, you know, Toledo. It's like, I do not need this you know, Nine West Outlet, a Banana Republic factory store. I mean, just like a Red Lobster. Uh, come on. 1977 was a big year in New York City. I was born, there was a huge blackout, and the Cornelia Street Cafe opened. On Cornelia Street in the village and around the corner from where this podcast is recording and Alex Lynn's rent-stabilized apartment. The rent then was $400. Now it's $33,000, at least until the institution that's hosted a generation of jazz and theater performers closes for good on January 2nd. The same week, the cafe announced it was closing, Google announced it was opening a new campus in the village, and Alex, who wrote a piece about the cafe for Tablet Magazine that you should read, visited and sat down with owner Robin Hirsch. Alex, you've lived here since almost 1977. What's happening? <laughs> well, I'm not that old, but... So I went down to Cornelia Street Cafe to talk with the owner the day he released the press release. His name is Robin Hirsch. So Robin Hirsch, his entire family fled from the Nazis. He, his parents ended up in London. He was born during the Blitz. He comes to New York to pursue a, you know, a life in experimental theater and uh, ends up owning this little cafe. And of it, he goes, we weren't just of Greenwich Village. We were Greenwich Village. And, you know, he's right. Cornelia Street Cafe was like a cornerstone. He was talking a lot about what Greenwich Village used to be like in uh, post-war bohemian experimental theater town. Off-Broadway off was invented here. There were small storefronts that just had like a couple chairs where people would perform and test things out with each other. I mean, the whole area was kind of exploding with art and music. He himself started with just the front room, two other owners. They had a toaster oven and, you know, some makeshift tables, I guess. Uh, since then, he's expanded to the basement, to the back, to the store next door. Um, the landlord's and him have a long, sordid history. The, the, the original landlord was this Italian guy from the neighborhood who used to have this sense that you know he really was taking care of the tenants, both commercial and residential in the building. The guys that bought the six months after the Cornelia Street Cafe owners moved in there, they were offered to buy the building. They didn't have the money. They were, quote, three starving artists, end quote, according to Robin. And who ended up buying the building was the plumber and his son, uh, who gave him a really, you know, what Robin says is a very fair lease for the next 30 years. Who ended up with the building was a guy named uh, Mark Sharfman, 
and his Beach Lane Management Company. Um, you know, he's been written about a whole lot, and so has his partner, Mitchell Rothkin. They've been written about in regard to residential tenants um, and deregulating apartments on a kind of shady basis. The thing about what landlords do when they get their hands on buildings that have commercial in, uh, commercial businesses in the bottom floor um, they will tend to, if the neighborhood has come up, as obviously Greenwich Village have, you know, raise the rent. And they'll say, we wanted to raise the rent to market. Now, unlike residential tenants, small businesses and commercial uh, tenants don't have the same protections by any stretch. And there's not a whole lot of protections for cultural institutions that don't own the brick and mortar in which they're housed, uh, which is really unfortunate. Right now, there's a proposal called the Small Business Job Survival Act to allow for a few more protections for longstanding commercial businesses to deal with sharp upticks in rents in New York City. I mean, it's no secret. New York City real estate is full of dangers. The woods are dark and people are just trying to kind of manage. <clears throat> and now, <clears throat> and now <clears throat> tell us what is going on with all the big crazy court cases that are going on in New York City right now is Victoria the, the Campus. 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 Testing, one, two. Testing, one, two. Thank you for bringing an egg tart from Chinatown for me, Victoria. Hey, no problem. They're really good. I'm glad you enjoy them. I like to, to go to the, all the bakeries. Each one has something that I think is the best. So that bakery has the best egg tarts. Should I do a little ASMR of me biting into this egg tart? Yeah. Okay, everybody get ready. <laughs> okay, back to In the Courts with Victoria <laughs> Bekempis. So as far as what's happening in courts this week, uh, there are a couple of things. Probably the biggest thing is going to be the proceeding in the criminal case against Harvey Weinstein. There's supposed to be a proceeding on Thursday morning, and there's been a lot of legal issues in the case thus far. So what could have been a very important moment, what could have been a victory for the Me Too movement, seems more and more imperiled. There are allegations that uh, the lead detective on the case kept stuff from prosecutors. There's allegations that prosecutors kept stuff from the grand jury. And Weinstein's legal team has filed document after document with the judge, hosts of uh, complaints about this. So what exactly is going to happen uh, during this scheduled proceeding? I don't know. But it's possible we will find out a bit more about any legal issues with the case. So it's possible that this um, emblem of justice for the Me Too moment will get mired in bureaucratic backtalk. Well, it's it's kind of hard to say. So I wrote a story for Vulture about this, um, what's going on in the Harvey Weinstein case thus far. And I did have a chance to speak with an expert about what's going on when I was uh, doing research for the story. And what she had told me was that, you know, if these allegations uh, that some of these things, for example, emails between Weinstein and the accuser, if the allegations that they were kept from the grand jury are true, that's not great. 
great. On the other hand, will that type of thing necessarily lead to blanket dismissal of the case? Probably not. And a lot of this stuff, for example, the issues with the detective that have been alleged, these things could come up throughout the course of the trial effectively. The defense team could bring up how some of these things were allegedly hidden when trying to question witnesses. Or, for example, the reliability of the accusers. If, you know, if they were to testify, which, you know, presumably they will, then on cross they can be questioned about that. Well, how could you say you were assaulted by Harvey Weinstein when you sent an email after the alleged attack? So... You know, that type of thing, if it were kept from the grand jury and it doesn't lead to a blanket dismissal, it can totally be brought up during the course of the trial. Sorry, this is kind of long-winded. <laughs> that's, that's okay. I think that one deserved it. It deserved, like, a good explanation. There are a lot of twists and turns um, with this case. And to be perfectly clear, defense attorneys do try and poke holes in prosecutors' cases. I mean, that's their job. Yeah, that's their job. But in, you know, not just because this is such a a high profile case, it's also a sex assault case, which are, you know, inherently more complicated because it's often, you know, mainly based on one accuser's word, you know, compared to the accused word. El Chapo. All right. Well, on to El Chapo. Yes. Um, on to El Chapo. So I read with a lot of enjoyment Michael Daly's report in the Daily Beast. Love Michael, Michael Daly. He's great. Great. Michael Daly. He's, He's so the great. the best. He's so incredibly talented. Michael and Daly. So this nice. is the section where we praise Michael, Michael Daly. Daly. He's so good. I know. He's so good. <laughs> he has this fantastic story about a new detail that wants a bunch of sheep were used to oh i'm not gonna make the pun sheep were used to shepherd that's a, a bunch of drugs no make in the it US. make it yeah sheeps were made sheeps or, were sure. made to shepherd yeah sheeps were yeah. made for puns yeah so sheeps sh- shepherded yeah i guess sheeps shepherded sheeps muled Hey, hey, a bunch of drugs. Yeah. The way I understand it is that the drugs weren't like put into the sheep or anything. The shipment of drugs was hidden in the shipment of sheep. In the sheep? No, no, no. I don't I don't no. believe that they were hidden in the sheep. What's the headline of Mr. Daly's uh, brilliant um, El Chapo article that everyone should read? On the witness stand, El Chapo informant Pedro Flores is getting the last laugh. He and his twin brother are probably... Two of the best known, you know, most important informants in a drug case in modern history. It is a miracle they are alive. As we discussed before, you know, El Chapo, Corporation El Chapo is not a, you know, a happy workplace. And I'm sure that their non-compete clause is not as uh, forgiving as in other industries. They're, uh, what's it called? A uh, separation package? <laughs> severance agreement. Severance, severance agreement is... Uh, it's been can't, can't it, really negotiate yeah. for you it's know been Cobra. Called, it's been called murder. Oy, 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 vey. Oy, vey. So why is he having the last laugh? Uh, you know he survived. Mm. Um, also, according to to Daly's report, when he brought up the the sheep thing, you know it prompted laughter in the courtroom. As any discussion of 150 sheep being used for you know very illicit purposes should. Are you sure the drugs weren't in the sheep? Because yeah. that would be funnier. 
It would be funnier, but it would be more of a bad, bad. story than a funny one. Oh, oh I man. know. It would be a bad story. I know. That's the. I know. I'm the worst. I, I really am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On to the next one. Yeah. I think that the other big court story this week um, was on Monday. Uh, the Statue, Statue of Liberty, Liberty climber, Patricia Okumu. Her trial, uh, it was a bench trial, began and ended on Monday. She faced, for lack of simplicity, I'm just going to call them lower level charges for her death-defying ascent of the base of the Statue of Liberty. And uh, lawyers for her, well, this is an interesting twist as well. So she was represented by uh, veteran civil rights lawyer Ron Kuby, um, his incredibly talented protege, Rhea Trivedi. And uh, Michael Avenatti is also... Michael Avenatti was, on, a, was Yeah, he's on, on the legal team. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, he needs... He needs more FaceTime on camera. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, but yeah, he was he was What do you there. think he uh, cue balls with? What's cue balls? Like, you know, like razors with. Do you think it's a big I don't, I don't I don't know a lot about men's grooming, honestly. My dad started shaving his head. Now I think of Bruce Willis. Every time I see Michael Avenatti or my dad, I'm like, oh, hi, Bruce Willis. Oh, sorry, you're not Bruce Willis. You're Michael Avenatti. Um, <laughs> this is totally just stream of consciousness, but I watched Die Hard 2 the other day. Oh, yippee Kaye. It's they're such good Christmas movies. They're so they're good. Such good, except Christmas the one movies. with his son. I think that came out recently. That was a real bad movie. Wait, was there was complete... one. Wait, wait, which one was the one with his son? It, it's one of the like Die Hard nineteen or some shit. Is it the one it came after out like last year? The one with Mac. It's okay. this one has his like oh, his son that you never knew. Yeah, Ugh. whatever. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. You know what's um, crazy about her was that whole skerfuffle with the organization she was with. What was it? Resist? Rise and Resist. Rise and Resist. Yeah. Rise and Resist um, says that they fully support her and encouraged her supporters to come and pack the courtroom. And the p- courtroom was packed. And this is the organization. Their official party line is, their official, not party, but their official or- yeah. activist organization group line is, we support her. Fully supports, yes. Okay. Um, but originally... There was some confusion. There was confusion. Yeah. And originally, she, they, everyone admits that she was breaking off to do her own thing. Yeah. And it wasn't part of their planned demonstration. Correct. Yeah. That's, uh, that's my understanding. Word, word. Um, but she also does have the support of Black Lives Matter's um, New York leadership. Like Hawk Newsom was there yeah. and spoke in support of her after she was convicted and went outside. So what are we talking about? When is her sentencing? Her sentencing is in March. She can face up to 18 months in jail. Do you really think they're going to do that, though? I would just say I'm trying to get out of what a judge the the what a judge might do game oh this judge is notoriously strict or this judge is notoriously lax i'm gonna get out of that game because i feel like good judges don't always you know don't follow a rote if a then b thing oh do you have a christmas slash hanukkah slash kwanzaa slash winter solstice message for all the kids because you know we're going on a break i'm going to thailand well by kids do you mean it needs to be age appropriate no zero percent by kids i mean everyone from you know 15 to 60 years old that listen to our podcast you know 
I, can I sound a little cheesy? Yeah, okay. especially since you're wearing a, Victoria Vicampus is wearing a, a, a sweater with like three black cats. One of them has a little red bow tie. One of them has a winter scarf. And the other one has like a bit of holly around its neck. And they're flanked by like beautiful little wrapped Christmas gifts. This is all embroidered or knit or whatever you call it onto her sweater. We're, we're gonna be posting pictures on Instagram. Don't you fucking worry. <laughs> I mean, I try I I try to bring the Christmas cheer, the holiday cheer as much as I I have three or four cat Christmas sweaters. They are not worn ironically. They're you legit sincerity. love cats and oh, Christmas. Do you see the scarf? It's a meow scarf. So that's in the courts with Victoria the campus. campus. Hey. hey, thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much for coming over. It's well, you have a great apartment. Thanks. <laughs> F FAQ. FAQ NYC is brought to you by a grant from Civil, a blockchain organization that's rearranging the commerce and finance of how podcasts gets made and journalism. FAQ NYC is headquartered at the McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research at NYU. We'd also like to thank Jordan Gaspare, our new producer in training and special helper for this particular episode. That's it for us until 2019, when Alex will spend the first month of the year doing ninja. Uh, it's not ninja. I will be in Thailand training in Muay Thai for doing all ninja. of January. And then the first week of February, I'm going to go to Paris and take some artsy photographs. But I will see you guys in February. Not really see. You will hear me in February. You will hear me in February. That's Au what revoir, I want to say. Au revoir, listeners. Au revoir. Au revoir. Goodbye. Happy New Year. Goodbye. Happy New Year. That is my French accent. Happy New Year. Sorry. Bonjour. France is going to be like, no. No thanks. Oh, hard, hard pass. Hard pass. Hard Je n'ai pas de FAQ. <laughs> hey, listen. I took French K through 5. No, K through 6. All I can remember is Christina, ferme la bouche. News. 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 New York City. FAQ. F-A-Q.